Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have a great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of this passage, uh, verses 1 to 8. Today we're looking at verse nine, verses 9 to 14. In these verses, um, we see laid out the path to Christian maturity, to becoming what God calls us to be. And it's an attractive picture of maturity, of a person who is joyful, thankful, committed, and practical. It follows on from last week. You'll see it, verse 9 starts, for this reason. And you remember last week we saw how these people um, had become Christians through the word of the gospel. They had come to faith in Christ. They'd learned to live out love because they had the hope of heaven held out before them by the word of the gospel. They, were, they had become real Christians and were living as, in that way. Because of that, Paul and Timothy, who write this letter to this little church, are able to pray this prayer, that they would grow in their faith. They would grow as Christians into what God is calling them to be. In this prayer, we see a very clear pattern. God gives spiritual wisdom or understanding, knowledge. That leads in its turn to a fruitful life with knowledge of God and endurance and joy. But there's one thing we must say before we do this. It's very easy when you read a prayer like this in the Bible to turn it into things I need to do. Now, as we look through it, there will be undoubtedly things that we see that we can just do, that we can try harder at. But this is a prayer. So more than things for us to do, these are things for us to pray for ourselves and for one another. It is reminding us 
that the kind of growth that is being talked about here, the kind of life that God calls us to, is simply not possible on our own. If we try to do this on our own, we will be like an eight-year-old trying to walk up Mount Everest. On the other hand, if we are praying this for ourselves and for one another, we will find that God empowers us to live lives that are beautiful, ones that bring glory and praise to him and life to those around us. So, as, as I said, it's important we see the structure of this prayer. We, we first of all need to know it's a prayer. To long for God to do this for us and to ask him. And then we need to see the, the sort of logical sequence. It's not just a bunch of nice ideas rammed together. It's a prayer, you see that at the end of verse 9, for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That, that wisdom makes possible the rest of what we're going to see. The four facets of a life that pleases God. Uh, bearing fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power for joyful endurance, for, for, sorry, for endurance and then joyful thanksgiving, uh, closely linked together. So, we're going to uh, look at this in four parts. Firstly, the way to growth, prayer. Secondly, the means of growth, that wisdom or spiritual knowledge. The result of growth, which is to please God. And then we'll look uh, at the four facets of growth, the four ways in which we will grow. So firstly, uh, again, a reminder, this is a prayer. The way to growth, ultimately, the most important part is prayer. This is God's gift. They want God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. That's the start and the bedrock of this prayer. Something that God will do. Then later in verse 11 we see God at work again. Strengthening them with all power according to his glorious might. How big is all God's power according to his glorious might? That's a lot of power. So... This is a prayer for God to work in a deep and marvellous way in our hearts. So, whether we're Christians or whether we're just investigating Christianity for the first time, we need to know, right at the start of something like this, the kind of life we're talking about, the Christian life here, is not just a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's not just a matter of trying harder or being nice. It is a supernatural kind of life. That's what we've been called to in the Bible. So secondly, the means of growth, wisdom. The means of growth or the, or the way that we grow. And the thing that makes it possible here for us to grow is the knowledge of God's will. Now, I don't think that's what we would immediately have thought of as the first step in growth, but that's what's presented here. They're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, on one level, that's really simple and obvious. If you want to live as a mature Christian, you have to know what God wants of you. So far, so clear. But the picture here of the kind of knowledge, the kind of spiritual wisdom and understanding we're seeing here is... It is worth some real thinking and pondering. Firstly, when someone asks someone like me, a pastor or minister or whatever, about finding God's will, almost 
always what we mean is God's what God wants me to do in one particular situation, usually a big and dramatic situation, you know, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I, what should I study at university? Or how should I handle this difficult relationship? Which is all well and good. God does help us and guide us through those situations. But the Bible's main focus is not the one-off situations. It's the nitty-gritty of every day. And that's why it talks here of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding that come from the Holy Spirit. Um, wisdom and understanding that help us in every corner of life. If you uh, know your Old Testament, you'll know that the book of Proverbs is a whole book in the Old Testament devoted to entirely to teaching us to grow in wisdom and understanding. And it's a theme through a lot of the rest of the Old Testament. And, and in it, it paints a picture of wisdom as the practical knowledge of how to act in each different situation that comes to you in life. So a very valuable thing. Understanding as well is, is knowing how the world works so that you can act in an appropriate way. Now, worldly wisdom... Um, it's the kind of cunning a politician has, or the astute businessman who knows how to get ahead. Uh, a wise person knows what's best for themselves in the long term. They know how to plan, they know how to work. They're the opposite of the fool, who through angry words or laziness or bad planning or too much drink or just really stupid life choices ends up messing up life. Spiritual wisdom is that same understanding of how to live, except Instead of being focused on getting ahead, it's focused on pleasing God and going forward in the Christian life. It comes from God's Spirit and it follows the path of Jesus, who told us, after all, the greatest are those who are servants of all. The way to save your life is to lose it. The way up is the way down. Spiritual wisdom transforms not just our understanding of what to do next, but of why to do it. It gives us a new perspective on life. We have to be, I mentioned before, we, um, a while back our shed was broken into by a burglar. He demonstrated the opposite of wisdom. Now, did the burglar who broke into our shed know that burglary was wrong? I would be very, very surprised if he got through his whole life and no one had mentioned it to him. You know, it's the kind of thing that's a wee bit difficult to escape. But he wasn't wise. <laughs> He didn't get deep down what the consequences of what he was doing were going to be. He knew it was wrong, sure, but probably he didn't think about how it would make us feel. For one thing, he didn't feel the reality of what it would be like for other people. For another, he didn't weigh what the cost would be when he got caught, as he did. Wisdom isn't just knowing, but understanding deep in your bones how different ways of life are going to pan out. Knowing that deep down does transform you. And as Romans 12 puts it, when we grow in wisdom this way, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. That leads to us knowing God's will. It's a change of perspective on the whole of life that helps us live in a new way. Just a little caution. The book of Proverbs notes. If we think we don't need wisdom, if we think that so far we
making a great job of life and Christian maturity, and that we haven't made any mistakes, and that frankly, even if we have, we're over that, and other people need to come and learn from us. Proverbs says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In other words, the greatest fool is the person who thinks they have nothing left to learn. The greatest fool is a person who thinks they're wise, who thinks they've got it sorted. There isn't one of us here this morning who couldn't learn from each other person in this room something that would help us to grow in wisdom. Now Colossians in the next chapters is going to lay out God's plan for the universe. The big picture. It's going to talk about how the gospel changes everything, how the coming of Jesus Christ transforms not just us but the universe and how that plan centres on Jesus Christ. The result of knowing and understanding that deep down is that we come to know the mystery of God, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the end, it's about knowing him. And knowing him means we have that wisdom and knowledge to face life. Now briefly, the goal of Christian growth. The goal of Christian growth is to please God. Very simple, really. Verse 10. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now, that's not worthy in the sense of deserving God, but rather being a person who doesn't put Jesus to shame. When people look at you, they think, yeah, this person lives as a follower of Christ should live. Like Jesus, in other words. And that's hard. And as we've said, that's supernatural. But also, we, it, it's to live a life worthy of him and to please him in every way. Or as the great Olympian and missionary Eric Little put it, that you may feel his pleasure. The Colossians needed to hear this. Chapter 2 is going to make clear that they had a temptation to make holiness and spirituality and religion all about them. All about spiritual experience. It became almost a hobby, a personal interest in, in certain varieties of prayer and mysticism and things like that. Something that only a few people with lots of time and energy and the right sort of inclinations could ever do. And that's happened more than once in church history. You know, if you went back to the Middle Ages and you wanted to live a mature Christian life, they tell you you've got to go and become a monk. There's no other way. As, you know poor lay people who are living normal jobs or married or whatever don't stand a chance because we just don't have the time for it. But Paul says no, no, no. Um, all the Colossians are being called to live with spiritual wisdom in the place God had put them and to do it in a way that pleases God. So we don't need to be a genius, we don't need to be special or clever or rich or buckets of time but with God's help his supernatural help, we can live a life that pleases him. Now, that leads us then to the four facets of Christian growth. How does spiritual wisdom lead to pleasing God? Well, Paul lays out four different facets that flow from spiritual wisdom. Bearing fruit in our actions, growing in knowledge, being strengthened from endurance, verse 11, and thanksgiving for rescue in verse 12. These four facets go together. 
You know, each of us will be naturally drawn to one another. We may be very practical people who love you know, doing, and doing things with our hands. Um, we don't have much time for prayer and the Bible. Or we may be the exact opposite. We may be someone who loves to spend time talking about spiritual things and, and reading or whatever, but not really great at getting out there and doing things. Or we may be simply glad to have God's power to help us keep going in the hard times of life, but we're not so interested in the other two. But all of these four things go together. They're really tied together. So if we want one of them, we have all of them. Uh, maturity is like that, isn't it? You know, um, it's not uncommon to find a teenager, is it? maybe some of us have been there, uh, who longs to be independent, who wants to make their own decisions, who wants to go where they want, to be treated like an adult, but still wouldn't mind if their parents would carry on doing their washing. An anyone been there? I had a friend at university who actually posted her washing home from the south of England to somewhere near Inverness. I only knew one person, but probably, if we face it, quite a lot of us, if it was on offer, might have taken our parents up on it. Real maturity, real maturity is about the whole, whole picture, isn't it? It's not about picking and choosing which bits of maturity you want. So firstly, um, this is about bearing fruit in every good work, verse 10. This is the simplest, really. Um, a fruit tree, a mature fruit tree, produces fruit. Um, if it doesn't, it's got a problem. Uh, what kind of fruit here? Every good work. In other words, Christians, naturally, their lives should flow out in good actions. Uh, there's no rocket science here. It's just about being useful and kind and helpful and doing good things. Um, when we have spiritual wisdom, we will see the opportunities to love other people in front of us. And we'll take them. We won't just be attracted by the impressive good works, you know, the ones that everyone will notice. We'll be happy to do the little things behind the scenes that nobody really cares about. In fact, we'll even be happy to do the, the, the good works that we might get stick for doing. Unless spiritual maturity leads to action, it's not real spiritual maturity at all. I have to say, you know, so in, in previous life, I was a Christian publisher, which meant I came into contact with lots of very famous, well-known Christian teachers. And, you know, every so often you hear scandals about famous Christian teachers who haven't lived up to what they did. But I can say with confidence that the majority of them, when you actually met them, were people who were delightedly happy to do the unimportant and unseen little bits of work. They were people who generally had the time to listen to someone who was upset or having a struggle. They're not in a rush to do their big important things. They were people who were happy if, you know, you know at a conference or a church service, they're happy to put out the chairs. You know, however many years they had of Christian experience. That's Christian maturity. Willing to do the little and the boring and the unseen just as much as the things that, that are noticed. Bearing fruit in every, every good work. Then uh, the mature Christian is growing. Growing in the knowledge of God. Not just knowing about God, 
but knowing him, knowing knowledge of him. You know, in any relationship, you do have to know something about the person to know them, and that's true with knowing God. But it's about growing in relationship with him. This is very different from a kind of abstract spirituality. And notice this is very much an attitude that says, I haven't arrived. A mature person is a Christian who knows they are still growing, not grown. They haven't arrived. They're a person who will want uh, to dig through their Bibles to get to know God better. They're a person who, for whom prayer is speaking to someone they want to know better and better. Then the next thing it says is that mature Christianity involves being strengthened with power. Beginning to sound a little bit more dramatic and exciting on some level. A big prayer. All power according to God's glorious might. It's a little bit of a shock when we discover what all this glorious might is, is for. It says it's for endurance and patience. In other words, keeping going. Putting one foot in front of another. That power is to keep us facing the challenges of normal life with what comes next, the thankfulness and joyfulness that are going to be the next facet of mature Christian life. Sometimes keeping going is a miracle of God's power. Life is often tough, isn't it? You may be feeling that right now. Uh, Some people here in the church have gone through some pretty awful things lately. And frankly, the longer I am in Christian ministry, the clearer it is how many of us are dealing with deep, deep struggles that we don't share with the rest of us. And I have the privilege of hearing about some of your struggles. But a lot of the time, we present a brave face to the world. A lot of us are bearing grief or struggle or pain a lot of the time. Life can teach you, and the secular world can teach you, to face those things with a stiff upper lip. It really can. You know, it doesn't always, but we all know non-Christians have faced horrible things with great bravery. Gospel power helps us go a step beyond that. To the joyful endurance of bearing with grief and pain, of being able to smile in the midst of our tears. Uh, I can't remember if I've used this illustration before, but I remember when I was in the hospital chaplaincy, there was one man in the hospital who was there for a number of months, and you could tell he was dying. You know, each week you saw him, he looked flatter and grayer and weaker. And um, it wasn't a happy ward, put it that way. Walking around, it's not an encouraging sort of place. But coming to speak to him every week was just to be refreshed and encouraged. There was nothing false about him. You know, he admitted the pain he was in. He was very honest about the struggle of it. But you could never forget the smile he had as he talked about Jesus and about where he was heading or the cheerfulness he talked to people or to the nurses and to the patients around him. That was the supernatural power of God at work in giving endurance. And God doesn't take us out of suffering when we become Christians. He doesn't promise to make life easy, but he does offer the power to get through it. And that's closely tied to the next section. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Every Christian has a lot to be thankful for. Most of the time we don't really feel it. Even if we do remember in heads everything we've been given, the reality is we're usually more moved by the unexpectedly high cost of a gas bill or the annoyance of a car breaking down than we are by the reality that we will be with Jesus in glory forever. Turns out we need supernatural power for that as well, to really see and feel that reality. God's power helps us to give thanks to him, to, to feel deep in our hearts the wonder of what he's done. And as we, we close, let's look at those reasons he gives for thankfulness. 11 to 14. And he spells these things out. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you are a Christian, he has given you a place with his holy people. A place in the kingdom of light where there is no more darkness, no more evil, no more pain. And he's qualified you for it. You aren't naturally headed there, but he's, he's made it possible for you to be there. He's made you, he's got, got you the entrance ticket and more. And he's made you ready. He's rescued you from the power of darkness. The power of evil at work in the world and at work in our own hearts. In all the cruel words we've ever said and every cruel thing we've ever done. He's rescued us from that power and one day we will be completely free of it. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Who's going to rule in peace and in love. He wants you to be a part of that. And that son, that king, is the very one who rescued us, who gave us redemption. In other words, who, who bought us back, who gave us forgiveness and freedom from the power of evil. This is our king and this is our God. I dare say that as the Colossians looked through this, plenty of them were thinking, <laughs> well, uh, I obviously didn't have much spiritual wisdom or understanding because I've messed up a lot of this stuff. I haven't lived this out. And frankly, as I look at my life, it's full of mess. Full of big mistakes. And I'm paying for them. Paul says, all these things are yours. All these things for giving thanks are yours. All the same, even if you've messed up. There is power, there is spiritual wisdom on offer as we pray for the future. But if you have, even if you have messed up entirely, that future is secure. It's not bought by you becoming mature. You're becoming mature by his strength and through prayer as a response to all the wonderful things he has already done and bought for you. Now, let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we do pray that we may live lives worthy of you, that we may please you in every way. As we look back, perhaps we 
see how little we've done that, how often we've failed to measure up. And we do want to please you. We do want to bear fruit in every good work. We do want to grow in knowledge of you. We want to be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we might have endurance and patience with joyful thanksgiving to the Father. For this we need you. We need an injection of spiritual wisdom, Father. We need your mighty power at work in our hearts. Give us that, we pray, each of us here. And may we joyfully, gladly give thanks to you, the Father, who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us, Father, from the dominion of darkness. So we thank you for that. Thank you for bringing us into the kingdom of the Son you love. Thank you for his redemption, his buying forgiveness for us and freedom from all guilt. Thank you for the future you have bought us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to sing again. We're going to sing, Yet not I, but Christ in me. Not my power, but his power.
tea and as we said last week why not try to talk to someone you don't talk to usually or sit beside someone you haven't sat beside before um, we are a community a family of God's uh, so let's build our relationship And now let's close with a final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.